Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. My family and I have been attending Beacon for a few years, and we love how the pastors reason through the scriptures every Sunday. We love the fellowship, the kids' classes, the singing, and oh, the cafe is great. So if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 10.30, or 12 noon. We're located at 65 East Williston Avenue in East Williston, New York. For more information, visit us at visitbeacon.com. See you soon. Moses went to the mountain, and God spoke unto him. Moses, this is the Lord thy God commanding you to obey my law. Do you hear me? Yes, I hear you, I hear you. A deaf man could hear you. What? Nothing, uh, Gornish, uh, forget it. Oh, Lord, why have you chosen me? What would you have me do for you? I shall give you my laws, and you shall take them unto the people. Yes, Lord! Lord, I shall give these laws unto thy people. Hear me! Oh, hear me! All pay heed! The Lord, the Lord Jehovah! has given unto you these 15, Oi. 10, 10 commandments for all to obey. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm uh, Robert Kelly. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, the church, and I'm so glad that you've come out to join us for worship. And uh, now we turn to a study of God's word, and we are, in fact, talking about the commandments. And um, this is a uh, part of our new city catechism conversation we've been having. But, you know, we had to ask this question, you know, how many rules are there? You know, how many laws are there? Last week, in a fantastic message, if you didn't get to hear it, Trevor did a great job uh, talking about some of this stuff, and he reminded us that the Jewish people had uh, sort of codified the law into 613 different laws. So are there now 613? Others have gone through the New Testament and they have actually tried to figure out uh, how many commands there are in the New Testament. And some put the number at somewhere around 1,050. I'm sure there's some overlap, but if you added them all up, we might be pushing 1,500 you know, different commands or laws. So how many are there? If you're Mel Brooks, it might be 15. Or at least that's what it was supposed to be, 15. You know? Then we got the 10, so maybe we just stick with the big 10. But others might say, no, no, there isn't 10 because... Only nine of those ten are explicitly repeated in the New Testament. So for Christians, then we would say maybe there's nine. Unless, of course, you go with the reckoning that Jesus used of sort of bringing them all down to just two. Maybe you, maybe you think through, there's, well, maybe there's just, there's just two. Like how many of these laws? Because there's list after list. Another way you could think about this question of laws is how many do you break? That might be another fun way of thinking through it. You know, how many of these laws do you break? And you're like, well, I don't know, because there's some weird ones that I'm not even sure what they mean. Maybe I break those all the time. Like, you know, am I supposed to not mix my fabrics? Like, no, no, no cotton and polyester? Is that not allowed? Or, you know, I'm, I had a cheeseburger. Is there a problem with the whole thing with cheese and meat? Maybe there's a law there that I'm, I'm violating. Or others just say, well, I'm, I mean, there's a few, 
But, you know, I really pretty much keep the big ones. I mean, that's important. You know, the really bad ones, I, you know, I make sure I'm good there. I haven't killed anyone. I mean, there's a plus, you know. I haven't committed adultery. I mean, like, or at least not right now. I'm not. So, like, there's a point, you know. Shouldn't that count, you know, for something good? I don't kick my dog. You're like, is that really in there? It's in Leviticus. It's somewhere in there. It's tucked in all those laws. You should, you should find it. Yeah, it's there. Maybe, maybe, you know, you think in terms of the ones that you don't break. Maybe you think, well, occasionally, occasionally in my life I've screwed up really big. I screwed up really big. But you know what? It's rare. It's just a couple of times a really big one. But mostly I'm doing pretty good, doing pretty good. I mean, I think that God's mostly pretty happy with me. Because I, I really do follow the big commandments. And for the New City Catechism, which is our sort of annual reading plan that many of us are doing, then you'll recognize that they simply list out the Ten Commandments. It's question eight. And they list out the Ten Commandments. No other gods. You'll make for yourself an idol in any form of heaven. Don't bow down and worship them. Don't misuse the Lord's name and the Sabbath and murder and stealing and lying. And so, you know, I got the Ten. Covet, you know, that's in there somewhere. So, you know, I, I may, I, I'm going to work, that's what I'm, I, I, maybe I'll work on the big tent. And the ten are, of course, important. But, you know, before we get into each of these laws, which we're going to do in the upcoming weeks and kind of see how they apply to us today, I wanted to take today and give us the context for when we got the laws. So I want to go back to the book of Exodus. We're going to start in chapter 19. And I want to talk about what happened just before we got the laws and what happened when we got the laws, and what happened immediately after we got the laws. So I want to kind of give us some context to the law of God uh, from the book of Exodus. Now, I'm really kind of going to be summarizing parts of Exodus 19 all the way through Exodus chapter 34. And so if you could have a Bible open, I'll be having you flip back and forth. They're in the seats that are kind of spread out around you unless you're using an app um, on your phone. But uh, the paper Bibles are there in the seat. Uh, the seats around you, opening up to Exodus 19, verse 1. And what we're going to see here is that God actually gives us commandments from heaven. Exodus 19, verse 1. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. And after they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession." Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words of the Lord that the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. You kind of get the imagery here, right? Moses has to keep going into the presence of God and coming back down to the people. There's a whole lot of going up and coming down because the picture they're trying to paint is that heaven has touched earth. Heaven and earth have sort of 
co-mingled a little bit for just a time here on the top of Mount Sinai. And Moses goes into the very presence of God and he brings the commands of God back down to the people. That means they come from a place of authority. You know, a lot of us, we're not comfortable with this idea of authority nowadays. But the way the Bible paints it is, these are from God. They, they're from the throne of God. They're from heaven itself, from the very mouth of God, literally in this case, from the mouth of God, they come with authority. Now that's Exodus 19. Then in Exodus 20, he actually lists out the Ten Commandments. Then in Exodus, is 21, Exodus chapters 21 to 23, the laws are detailed. And this is where you start getting all of those other laws. The rest of the laws are explanation of how we apply the ten. That's really how they all sort of relate. People say, oh, there's so many laws. Well, that's because we had a hard time figuring out how to apply these ten. They seem straightforward enough, but not when you really get into them and you start to realize they're far more deep and far more comprehensive than the original ten indicate. That's what all of these explanations are about in Exodus chapters 21, 22, and 23. Then in Exodus 24, we have an important moment. Exodus chapter 24, verse 3. You can flip over there. And we find here that the covenant is being confirmed. The agreement between God and the people is confirmed. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said we will do. Then there's some sprinkling of blood. Animals are killed. Blood is sprinkled on the altar and blood is sprinkled on the people because they've made a blood oath that they would keep these commands. I don't know what else he did up there. He was up there for like 40 days and, you know, it, it was important to, you know, to certainly get the law. But we know there was one other thing he did. In Exodus chapters 25 all the way through 31. So think about that. Lots of chapters, a whole lot of ink being spilt on something other than the law. It's the tabernacle. It's how they were to worship God. All of these descriptions of how they were actually going to worship. And I think sometimes we forget this as a timeline. Sometimes we think, well, yeah, uh, Moses, he goes up on the mountain. He gets the law. He comes down. He gives, them, gives it to the people. But that's not actually it. He went up on the mountain. He got the law. But he also got page after page of detailed explanations about the tabernacle, about what worship of God would be like for this Jewish nation. He got all of those plans, and then he came down. So again, I don't know what else he did up there, camping, I don't know, hanging out, shooting the breeze with God, I'm not sure, but 40 days, he's up there. We also then see from this text that God's commands are serious business. They're serious business that we have to pay attention to. Look at verse, go back to Exodus 19 now. Sorry for all the flipping. Exodus 19, go to verse 16. Exodus 19, 16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up like it, from it like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently. This scene 
is unique and unprecedented in the Bible. There's nothing quite like it. Where the presence of God so shakes a mountain and the people that the whole community was trembling in fear because God showed up. In fact, there's only one other time where a scene like this really does sort of present itself in the scriptures. And it's at the time in a prophetic passage in the New Testament when Jesus returns. Now, keep in mind what we just read and then listen to what, how, what the New Testament adds to a day like this. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7, it says, This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. When God shows up, the, the scholars call it a theophany. God shows up and there's this rumbling and there's this thunder and there's clouds and there's darkness and there's often fire and wind. And that, of course, brings out of the people fear and dread and a sense of foreboding. I mean, this is God's law after all. It's his perfect law. It's the perfect law that we have to perfectly obey or face the consequences of an all-powerful God. Now, a lot of us, we don't understand God in this way. We may not even understand why he makes such a big deal about his laws. It may not even make sense to us. But you see, all of these laws, any violation is an affront to the holiness and the character of God. These laws flow out of his character. In fact, not only do they flow out of his character, but they're designed to bring the, the maximum amount of justice and peace and wholeness to the world, which means any violation of these laws is an attack on the creatures that he loves. On the planet, on the animals, on the, on the people, any violation is actually an assault on the, on the shalom, on the perfection that he was creating here on earth. So yes, he takes it very serious. So you get to the New Testament and you think, yeah, but fortunately Jesus, he, he made it a lot easier, you know, because you know, that was the Old Testament and God seemed angry. But in the New Testament, Jesus, he makes everything easier. And then you get to the Sermon on the Mount and you realize that Jesus goes through some of the Ten Commandments and he says, yeah, actually, you've understood them all wrong. And at first you're like, good, because <laughs> they seemed harsh. Jesus is like, yeah, I know. You know where it said don't murder? Yeah, it wasn't just about murder. It was about being angry. Like, whoa, wait, wait, we're heading in the completely the wrong direction here. You know, you're like, no, no, you mean if I think about killing someone, that's bad too? Okay, I can go with that. He's like, no, no, I didn't say when you think about killing someone. I said when you're angry, it's the seed of murder. And it's as if you've committed murder in your heart. He takes on adultery and he's like, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. And we're like, yeah, yeah, we know that one too. I tell you, if you lust after a woman, you've already committed adultery. You mean I don't actually have to do the act and you can still hold me accountable for it? And Jesus is like, yeah. See, he's making the, the law heavier. Jesus made it more burdensome than we thought it was. Forget 613, forget 10, 1050. 
The, the, Jesus goes so far as to say that the negation of something isn't enough. We think that because it's a negative law, that as long as we don't do that thing, that, it's, that we've honored it. And Jesus says, no, when I say don't kill, I'm telling you to value life. I'm actually commanding you what, what you ought to be doing. And the absence of what you ought to be doing is also sin. I'm telling you not to despise another person's life. I'm also telling you to love another person's life. To give yourself for them. To love their life like you would love your own life. That's how far this law is supposed to go. And we look at that and we go, this is ridiculous. It was already impossible. And now you're making it about attitude and intention and about all the sins of, that we've not just committed, but we've omitted by the good that we ought to have done, but didn't. It's not, so, it's not good enough now to, be, to not covet. We have to now be content. This is the way the law of Jesus made it even more difficult. And that's because the purpose of the law of God was to show us our awful sinfulness. It was meant to break us down and to lay us bare before God so that we could actually see who we really are and to begin to imagine the true distance between the creator of the universe and us.